He has an MVP. He might win another one this season, but he hasn't done a whole lot of winning in the postseason. Is it time that Lamar Jackson has to prove himself? Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons here with you on Amber and Ian. Amber and Ian presented by Progressive Insurance. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So is it time, Ian, for Lamar Jackson to put up or show up, so to speak, which is kind of silly because he's probably winning the MVP. He's had a hell of a season and the Ravens look pretty unstoppable. I don't think it's silly at all. He has a one in three postseason record. And as Troy Aikman was talking about, uh, earlier today, uh, three-time Super Bowl champion for the Dallas Cowboys and a Hall of Famer, you are judged by your postseason record as a quarterback. And he was talking about Dak Prescott. Well, uh, why does Lamar Jackson get a pass, even though he does have the MVP and Dak doesn't? And I'm not, I'm not comparing Lamar Jackson and Dak. I'm just, I'm just quoting Troy Aikman, where, you know, hey, when it comes to playoffs and you want to be up there with the legends of the game and then after the legends, the immortals of the game, you got to win in the playoffs. And he's one in three. And the last time they were the number one seed, they got Bay was one and done and got, got punked by the, by the Tennessee Titans. Not just him, but the Baltimore Ravens. We always, always put it on the quarterback because it's the most important position in all of professional sports. Heck, it's probably the most important position in all of sports, from peewee football all the way to the pros. Uh, but one in three. I mean, you are, as Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record says you are. Now, this year, especially this year, he finally has something that he hasn't had in the past, and that's a boatload of weapons. Zay Flowers, a rookie out of Boston College at wide receiver. You know, you went and got Odell Beckham Jr. Mark Andrews, his will be, is coming back this week. So you have arguably the most talented offensive roster that he's ever had. So, yeah, right now it is put up or shut up. You're 1-3 in three in the postseason. This is your time to make a run as, uh, with the team that has the best record in all of football. He'll get the opportunity to prove it when the Ravens host the Houston Texans in the divisional round on Saturday. That's a 4.30 p.m. kickoff. You can watch that game on ESPN, on ABC, and on ESPN+. Plus. But the reason that I said it was silly is because I feel like we have this conversation every single season with Lamar Jackson, and not just about the postseason, but in some way we question Lamar every season, whether it's can he throw the football? Remember, we did that for a few years. You know, can he? Could he? It was 2019 a flash in the pan. We did that for a while. It's like, no matter, it, you know, do, does he elevate the talent around him? Like, every single year, I'm having some sort of prove it conversation about Lamar Jackson. And that man is on pace to be the youngest two-time NFL MVP in league history since the merger at just 27 years old. There was the question, what happens when he gets paid? He had asked for a trade from the Ravens. We did that whole contract song and dance for a couple years. Then they paid him to the tune of $260 million. Was he going to take his foot off the gas pedal now that he actually got paid? Can he stay healthy? That was another conversation I've had about Lamar. We have had all these conversations about Lamar here year after year after year. And now now we're here. Now we're hearing another MVP season from Lamar. And we're having another one. And it's can he get it done in the postseason. But that is the narrative for any great quarterback. I mean, it was Steve Young replacing Joe Montana. I mean, when you famously saw him on the sidelines when they were beating the ever-loving snot out of the then San Diego Chargers in the Super Bowl, and he turns to his teammates go, hey, yank that monkey off my back, right? That, that, that ghost of not being able to win the big game and, and, and win a Super Bowl. I mean, and Steve Young ends up in Canton. But that is just the, – that that's the going rate if you are an MVP – 
and you're one of the best at your, at your craft at the most important position, which Lamar Jackson is, now he has to change that postseason narrative. And it's not just him. We put so much on the quarterback. Like, I'm watching a graphic earlier today, and it says, Patrick Mahomes, six touchdowns, no INTs versus Josh Allen. Well, hell, Amber, I didn't know Josh Allen played D-end. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, so was he supposed to come up with a pick against Patrick it Mahomes? So unfair. It is true. I that mean, is it's so unfair that we do that. I mean, it's absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous. But because they are that good, and Lamar Jackson is one of the best at, that, at the most important position, this is where you have to elevate everyone around you. And this year, it is different because he does have Zay Flowers, because he does have Odell Beckham Jr., because he is getting Mark Andrews back, because the O-line is better, and that defense is still what Baltimore's always had. Just a bunch of headhunters that will knock the ever-loving snot out of you, and if you sniff the end zone, it makes them angry. (laughs) So that has always been there, but now Lamar has weapons at his disposal, and we've seen it this year, and he has taken his game to another level because he had more help around him. Now you got to go deliver in the postseason. As Troy Aikman said, this is when legends are created. And you go from legendary status to immortal if you win at all. And that's what Lamar Jackson is wanting to do, and he craves that more than anything. But I don't see why he should be held to a different standard than any other quarterback out there. We said the same thing about Josh Allen. What's the difference? To me, well, there, there is, is no difference. Right. There is no difference. And I'm not suggesting that Lamar needs to be held to a different standard. Fine. Obviously, he's going to have the pressure of winning in a postseason. What I think is silly about the narrative is what really changes if he, if, even if he doesn't make it to a conference champion. I mean, if he loses a, the conference championship this year, he doesn't make it to a Super Bowl. Even if he loses here in the divisional round, what really changes? All, all of a sudden, we're going to say Lamar Jackson sucks as he's being handed the MVP no. trophy again gonna, at 27 years is, old. No one's having that conversation. No, what we're going to say is he's one and four in the postseason. Okay, fine. And, and but there's a lot more factors that go into that than yeah. just Lamar Jackson. We all know that, and we would all take Lamar on our team any day of the week. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with our easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. So we're always questioning maybe Lamar Jackson in various ways, we being the media. But around the NFL, of course, he is wildly respected the opposing coach that he will run into this weekend, D'Amico Ryans, the Texans head coach. He says that Lamar is nearly impossible to defend. You can throw as many things at Lamar as you want to, but he finds a way to make plays. That's what makes him a special player. No matter what type of looks you've, he's gotten on tape, he's made a ton of teams pay because of just his playmaking ability. MVP caliber football, he's done a really good job of not only running the ball or creating off-schedule plays, but getting the ball to his playmakers. So we have to do a really good job of tackling in space. It's going to be huge in this game, right? Not just one guy being at the ball, but got to have multiple guys around him because he's such a dynamic player. I think it's fair to say that the Ravens are a postseason team, and sure, they need to get it done in the postseason, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. However, for me, Lamar Jackson has already proven himself in every way, and him winning a Super Bowl is icing on the cake, but it's not actually a necessity for me to think he's a great quarterback. No, I think he is a great quarterback, but again, you are are judged by postseason success. And his record is, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, is one in three. 
The Ravens' record with him at quarterback is 1-3. This year is a bit different because he does have more weapons. And that's why I think it, it takes it to a whole other level of, hey, let's see what you can do. And they, look, they're a double-digit favorite. They're a 10-point favorite. It may be down to 9. I haven't looked at ESPN bet today, but it's still 9. It's a two-score favorite uh, going up against the Houston Texans with a remarkable rookie quarterback and a first-year head coach in C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans. And you obviously just heard from D'Amico right there. Bottom line is he has excelled in Todd Monken's offense in his first year uh, with the offensive coordinator from the two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs coming in. They've added more weapons. He accounted for 29 touchdowns and only, what, nine turnovers? If you can include the two fumbles that were lost, he led the team in rushing, averaged nearly, what, five and a half yards a carry. I mean, he was, he was sensational this year. He is the MVP. That's the regular season. Like, you know what? Go back to the start of the year when, it, when I, I said, and a lot of other people, I don't give a damn what the Dallas Cowboys do in the regular season. Show me what they do in the postseason. And they didn't wet the bed. They soiled it. The entire team, including Dak. The first half, he had 87 passing yards. 87. And what, two INTs and a pick six. He was horrendous. Dak got barbecued, crushed, and he should have. And Mike McCarthy might be fired. And Dan Quinn's defense stunk. I mean, it was a complete team debacle. Well, if the Houston Texans go in and it's another one and done in an MVP year for Lamar Jackson, and he goes to one and four, then he should be held to the same standard. Actually, a higher they- standard, a higher standard because he is an MVP. If he wins, it's expected, and good, not good job out of him, great job out of him, and go get whoever's next, whether it's Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes and the Bills or the Chiefs. I think if the Ravens lose here, the Heat would be more on Harbaugh, right? And, and Monk and the entire coaching staff, because we'd be questioning also the decision for them to rest all the starters down the stretch, the final game of the season, like they did back in 2019 when they did get bounced in the divisional round the last time Lamar Jackson won the MVP. I feel like we'll be questioning some of those things and not actually saying that Lamar, unless he goes out there and totally totally wets the bed. It's hard for me to imagine, though, that he's not going to be anything short of great. With Dak, we, d- haven't, we did not see him get two MVPs by the time nope. he was 27 years old, which is what we're about to see from Lamar Jackson. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, Gerard Mayo was officially introduced as Bill Belichick's successor today in New England, but he says that he's not going to try to be Bill Belichick. That's next here on ESPN Radio. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu. Bet till your hands bleed. 
With Amber Wilson, I'm Ian Fitzsimmons. You're on ESPN Radio, ESPN App Series XM Channel 80. Bet to your hands, bleed one and one last night. Lost the Thunder. Damn, Paul George killed us in the fourth. Took the outright W, Kansas State, taking down ninth-ranked Baylor. Tonight, we've got one for you. Cleveland Cavaliers, they were a four-point dog. Now they're a one-point favorite. Steam to minus one. I'll take the Cavs at home against the Bucks. Bet to your hands, bleed. Oh, wait a minute. I'm hearing breaking news in my ear. I am being told that the New England Patriots are hiring Gerard Mayo as the successor to Bill Belichick per Adam Shepard. For this to be the leader of one of the flagship franchises of the NFL moving forward, I think it's a good day in Foxborough, and it's a good day for the NFL. Gerard Mayo, he was officially introduced today as the 15th head coach in New England Patriots history. He said, Ian, one of his goals was to rebuild some relationships, to knock down silos, and to establish a collaborative Team culture. Basically, Jaron Bayo, he wants good vibes. Ian Fitzsimmons, good vibes. No dictatorship, right? The dictator's gone. I, I love, if you're a Patriot fan, you like hearing this because, Amber, I'm curious to see if you agree or disagree. The biggest problem that I've, I've heard in, in talking to folks around the league, whenever you have a, a, Bill, Par, a Bill Belichick disciple, I almost went Parcells there because Belichick is a Parcells disciple, but you have all these former Belichick assistants, and they all try and be Bill. You know, I mean, like, like Matt Patricia walked into the Detroit Lions locker room in his first meeting with the team, and he lost the team in 30 seconds. Talking to former players there, three of them, all told me the same story. And it, Patricia walks in, Amber, in 30 seconds and says, and I'm paraphrasing, all I see in this room are a bunch of losers, and all I do is win. And we got to change that right now. And one of the players looked over at Matthew Stafford, and Stafford just looked, put his head down and started shaking his head. And this one player says, we're done. He just lost nine. And when you, when you, lost, when you lose number nine, it was over. 30 seconds in because he was – and, and as, as, as this one particular player told me, hey, Matt, Belichick had his new wearing 12, right? Right. I mean, and as great as Stafford is – or any other quarterback in the league, none of them were that dude wearing that wore twelve in New England. And when you walk in, going, all I see is a bunch of losers, and all I do is win. Really, that was you that did all that, not not Belichick, not Brady. Oh, but you did it. It was all you. That's the biggest problem with Belichick disciples. And I love the fact that Mayo is going. I ain't Bill, and I'm doing this my way. And that, if you're a Patriot fan, is music to your ears. All I do is win, win, win. It's a lot cuter when all you're doing is winning. And that hard-nosed approach ain't so cute when the winning isn't there. And that's what's been happening the last few years here with Bill Belichick is maybe the Patriot way all of a sudden wasn't nearly as cute after the departure of Tom Brady and some of the growing pains that have happened. Also a new generation of player. And Tom had kept that thing on track for so many years because he bought into it. But Tom's built different. When your leader's buying into it, then everybody else is going to fall into line because they also see the result there this is all for winning championships when you have no opportunity to win championships because you know your team's so far away and there's young guys in the locker room and they feel kind of differently about this whole thing and they were raised in a different generation on tiktok and everything else all of a sudden the way that things are done there maybe 
not so cute as it once was. One of the things that I think is is the most remarkable about the tenureship of some of these coaches, even a Belichick disciple, like a, a Nick Saban, right? A guy who you could argue is from the Belichick coaching tree. Oh, absolutely. Bit, one of the more successful, he's proud one of the of only it. successful. <laughs> yeah, they proud of it. One close. of the only successful uh, branches on that coaching tree. But with those guys, the longevity, uh, Popovich, you know, these longer tenured coaches that are able to do it as they age throughout generations. I always find that so remarkable because how do you relate to kids when you're 60 the same way you related to them when you were 40 or 30? I mean, it's got to, and it's different kids, right? All the time. It's different generations. It's, and I get these are adults in the NFL, but you know, they're all brought up differently. Everybody's different. They're brought up with different problems and, and different technologies. So it's hard to apply one way and for it to work for years and years and years. And it did do that with the Patriots forever. And we saw maybe some of that had to do with the fact that they had a dude in place for uh, darn near two decades that they were able to rock with there as a leader who bought in fully for that system. And that's really why it worked so well. So Gerard Mayo doesn't have that guy. Him applying the same principle, it probably wouldn't go well. It hasn't gone well for some of those other coaches on the coaching tree, just like you mentioned other places. And there's a lot of them. The Josh McDaniels, the Brian Floreses, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, Romeo Cornell. I mean, there are a lot. Brian Dayball, question mark, I guess, right? I mean, there's a lot on this Bill Belichick coaching tree. And some of those guys have tried to apply the same system and it doesn't necessarily work if it ain't Bill doing it. Gerard Mayo is now the Patriots head coach. He very squarely says he gets it. He's not trying to be Belichick. I'm not trying to be Bill. I'm not trying to be Bill. I think that Bill is his own man. Uh, If you can't tell by now, I'm a little bit different even up here. Uh, But what I will say is, you know, the more I think about, the more I think about, like, the lessons that I've taken from Bill, hard work works, right? Hard work works, and and that's what we're all about. That's in any walk of life. That's not just football. That's in the game of life. I mean, it, it, hard work pays off. And effort is a B, right? But if you put forth the effort, it, it can be a blessing. Uh, and that first word rhymed with which. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything he just said there. And the biggest part of going forward now is they're going to have a general manager. They're going to they're going to rely on their scouting department. Think about this, Amber. The Patriots from 2014 to this year, they drafted one Pro Bowl player. Mac Jones in his rookie year. They, out of all those drafts, nine drafts, you know how many of their draft picks got to a second contract? Zero. How many? Not mm-hmm. a single one. Oh, that's so To a bad. second contract. So that is, I saw that on, e, on NFL Live earlier today and I wrote it down. Like, you, I mean, I almost jumped off the couch because you got to be kidding me. So that's that, atrocious. The, that's the an general manager. Is a general manager. Yeah. And the general manager, Belichick. Destroyed the head coach, Belichick, after they lost right. that dude named Brady. Because Brady could elevate anybody around him. I mean, and he took every Oompa Loompa or member of the Lollipop Guild at wide receiver and turned them into giants. I mean, he was, he, he, he was that good, along with all, you know, the offensive line and everything else. Well, now you have to rely on a new GM and that scouting department and a whole new philosophy. And the, there's no dictatorship. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. Mayo not trying to duplicate what you couldn't copy. It was literally un- impossible. Belichick couldn't do it after Tom was gone. You know, and it's like Adam Vinatieri told us. It's, you give credit to both of that remarkable dynasty. They both deserve a ton, ton of credit. They did it together. 
But now with Mayo saying, I ain't him and I'm not going to try and be him, that to me is the best thing and the best philosophy going forward for a first-year head coach replacing that guy. I don't think Tom Brady would have necessarily been Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. So I have no problem giving them both credit. I I do think at some point in Tom Brady's career, the student became the teacher, right? I mean, he became so good in his own right and so adjusted to the system that he didn't really need Bill because he'd learned everything from Bill because they'd been doing it for so many years that he got to a point where he could do it elsewhere. And we saw him go do it elsewhere. But I think one of the reasons that he made that decision to go do it elsewhere and actually specifically to go to Tampa and to pair up with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans is because he recognized as he got older, it was going to be hard. It was going to be hard to be a quarterback in your 40s required to elevate that atrocious talent. For, or not, I shouldn't call it atrocious talent, but you know what I mean. The level of yeah. talent, the atrocious record as a GM that you just cited there, that that was going to be hard to continue to elevate the older Tom got. Whereas he was seeing in Tampa, hey, there's this elite receiver room already ready down there and that there's all this talent down there that's already ready and I just need to clean things up from Jameis and I can go out and and try to win a Super Bowl down there and that's exactly what he did aging gracefully is a lot easier when you have the weapons around you to maybe cover up some of that aging and for whatever reason it didn't feel like Bill Belichick was willing to do that around Tom and he was not able to do it after Tom but now Gerard Mayo with him brings a whole new fresh air to New England we'll get new fresh air here coming up next more Amber and Ian about to find out what Mr. Purdy is made of. This dude's a killer. That is something that they got wrong. We just don't want to give Brock Purdy the benefit of the doubt. But you got Ayuk, and you got McCaffrey, and you got Kittle, and you got Kyle Shanahan. You got problems? You're a problem. There is at least some of this that suggests he is a product of the system. It's nice to go out there and continue to prove people wrong. Touchdown! Touchdown! The divisional round is upon us. Texans at Ravens will be on our airwaves Saturday, 4.30 p.m. kick. You can watch that one on ESPN, on ABC, and on ESPN+. Plus. Amber and Ian here with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. And you just heard the sound there with the San Francisco 49ers. Let's bring in Ed McCaffrey, three-time Super Bowl champ. Most importantly now, host of Game Day on ESPN Radio. Ed, I assume that's at the top of the resume. And then, of course, also father of Christian McCaffrey. Like that makes the resume as well, but I would imagine game day ESPN radio now catapulting to the top, right? Yeah, that's definitely the headliner. Christian does make the cut. He's in there somewhere. (laughs) Well, that's very nice of you. Uh, Let's talk about your son's team in the San Francisco 49ers. Do you feel like that this version of the 49ers this season gives them maybe the best chance that they have had in recent memory to win a Super Bowl here with uh, obviously a quarterback on not just a rookie contract, but like one of the cheapest rookie contracts ever, (laughs) I would imagine. Do you feel that the way that they're built, that they're uniquely built this season to win it all? Well, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, I look at all the teams in the NFL, and I, I don't really like ranking them one through five because you don't know enough about them. You know, I put a circle up there, and we, we all get a feel for which teams we think have a shot, right? And so from the beginning of this season, after their performance last year and getting to the NFC Championship and, you know, Brock Purdy getting injured, and there's a lot of talk about that, 
um, out of Philadelphia and around the league um, after San Francisco lost on the road to Philly in the championship. Well, in the beginning of the year, San Francisco is one of the teams in the circle, right? I mean, the, going into the season, Brock Purdy's healthy. They got a lot of firepower. They should be a team that's going to give themselves a chance at the end of the season. And sure enough, they are one of those teams. So I don't think it's much of a surprise based on looking on the, at their roster. And then week 13 was a big statement game when the 49ers were able to defeat Philadelphia with Brock pretty healthy. He certainly has proven to be quite relevant, right? I think the talk about Mr. Irrelevant is, is gone out the window. He's played at an extremely high level. Um, but this San Francisco team was an interesting team. Like they dominated for five weeks. Then, you know, they got a couple of guys banged up. Trent missed a couple games and Debo missed a couple of games and guys got a couple banged up and they dropped a couple. They moved defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes from the booth down to the field. And then they, they really rallied again and just went on a tear. And then at the end of the season, you know, they, they were, you know, attrition kind of set in. Uh, Clellan Farrell is out. A couple of guys were banged up. And I think the bye week really did them some good. So I'm hoping, like uh, every, like I'm sure Kyle Shanahan is, that the bye week allowed some of their guys to get healthy again, get some bounce in their step. But you always do worry about losing an edge, right? So I was, uh, you know, really glad to hear that practices went well, that they've been practicing hard, that the players really stepped up. I don't think this is a team that exhales and takes things for granted. I think they've got the right guys in their locker room. You're a three-time Super Bowl champ, Ed, and you're a member of the Broncos' 50th anniversary team. You're, you're a former Pro Bowl wideout, so you've been a part of great teams. At what point do you know, especially going into the playoffs, that you have something special when it comes to that, that team that you believe, you know what, yeah, this is a group, we can make a run? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I guess my own personal experience, I felt like we in Denver had a great team back in 1996 and we went to the playoffs in 97 and lost to Jacksonville at home. And I really think to this day, except for that game, we were the best team in the NFL, but no one talks about it because we lost at home in the playoffs to a team that got really hot at the end of the year. Right. And that's one of the things that concerns me a little bit about this green Bay team. They remind me of that Jacksonville team. They got super hot at the end of the year. Their players are healthy. Everyone's playing at a high level and they're, they're carrying some momentum into this game in San Francisco. But in terms of San Francisco having what it takes, the first thing you do is look at the roster. They have talent on both sides of the ball all over the place. Their coaching is unbelievable. And so certainly they are a great football team. Their record proves it. They won their division. They're the number one seed throughout the playoffs. So they did some phenomenal things throughout the regular season. They're already a great team. But to be a truly great team, we know you have to win the Super Bowl. So until you win it, um, you know, there's always a question mark. So they have the potential to win it this year, but having the potential to win it, just like back in 96, going into the 97 playoffs when, when we lost, and that was a team that went on to win two more Super Bowls back to back. But at the time, um, you know, we exhaled just a little bit and lost. And that's what you hope as a player and as a coach and as a fan doesn't happen, right? You, you want, you, these are one and done games. It doesn't matter what you did during the regular season. It doesn't matter how great your team is. It doesn't matter what the legacy is each individual leaves behind. All that matters is what happens in this next game. And that's why we play the games, and that's why the football playoffs are so, so darn exciting, right? Um, but I would say they have as good a chance as anyone at putting a couple of games together and winning a Super Bowl. Uh, that being said, you know, you've you got to go do it. 
host of Game Day on ESPN Radio. You can check him out 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays. Also three-time Super Bowl champion Ed McCaffrey joining us here on Amber and Ian. So obviously winning Super Bowl is something that you know a little bit about, Ed. And you just said the great teams aren't great until they win one. Let's talk about individual players. Does Lamar Jackson, who's probably winning another MVP this season by two already by 20, he'll be 27 years old. Does he need to win in the postseason, do you think, to prove himself? Yeah, no, he's a great player. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I'd give the MVP to, to somebody else on the 49ers personally, but I'm biased. But he's a, he's a great player. But, yeah, I've always felt that, look, you know, if the award hasn't been handed out yet, then every game you play before that award is handed out matters. And so it matters for Brock Purdy. It matters for Christian. It matters for everybody on the 49ers team. It matters uh, for Lamar. It matters for uh, everyone on the Baltimore Ravens team. Until these awards are given out, you got to take every game you play into consideration. So, yeah, they um, they'll have a fun game this week as well, and um, you know the, both teams will continue to play. And you know, personally, I, I kind of like when awards are given out at the end of the season, um, not during the season, because I think playoffs do matter. And I know some teams, um, you know, don't make the playoffs, but that that can be taken into consideration. So there's a there's a lot of football to be played, and we saw last week a couple of teams bowed out and we saw at the end of the regular season it seemed like a couple of teams bowed out before they got to the playoffs and and now there there aren't any bad teams left you know what I mean I mean these are the best of the best the cream of the crop and they're here for a reason but there's still some football to be played you know Ed so many of us remember you as a Denver Bronco but that's not where you got your start you were a New York Giant first then I think the Niners for a year or two and then then you hit your stride with the Denver Broncos Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield right now have also had a resurgence with different teams. So if you can put into perspective what that, what that's like as a professional athlete where, you know what, this team gave up on you and this team gave up on you, but you finally found the right spot and bam, you hit your stride. Because that it kind of appears that's what's happened with Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield. What's that like? Yeah, well, I think it's different with each one of those, but you're right, and it was probably a little bit different with me as well. It's like, you know, I think one of the keys is consistency right? Consistency. And so look, Jared Goff got his team to a Super Bowl <laughs> in LA. It's not like he's chopped liver, right? Like he played at a super high level and got his team to a Super Bowl. Um, but he, you know, he's embraced in Detroit. He's loved in Detroit. His teammates and coaches respect him. He fits in perfectly to that system. And I do think, look, he's older now than he was even back when he got his team to a Super Bowl. And I think he's playing at a higher level. And I think he's done it consistently for a couple of years now. So I think, you know, having your coach, having some of your same teammates and, and uh, having a system that you fit well into and, and just, you know, learning over the years from mistakes that you've made allows you to become a better player as you're a veteran. Baker Mayfield a little different. I thought he played incredibly well in Cleveland. Um, and he was tough as nails, right? He played like the last half of the season yep. injured, didn't get a surgery and, and uh, did really well. But for whatever reason, you know, the, the coaches didn't see that or the ownership. And at times I didn't think he had a full complimentary offensive roster to allow him to have incredible success. Um, and now he finds himself on a talented team with good coaching and a system where he fits in, but he's only been there a year, right? And he gave him a discount on his contract, but you know, he's winning and having fun. And, but I never doubted that he could be that kind of quarterback because I'd seen it from him in the past. I never doubted Jared Goff because I'd seen it from him in the past, you know, personally, you know, I got drafted and, um, our coach, Bill Parcells, stepped down after our first minicamp because he had some health problems. 
And, you know, Ray Hanley is a Stanford guy, came in and went from running backs coach, offense coordinator to head coach. But it was also at the same time a lot of our players were getting older and either retiring or see, you know, looking at the end of their careers. We were the oldest team in the league. I think the average age was 30-something. And, um, and so I went through a new head coach and a, a couple of new position coaches and new coordinators and new quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, I'll pat myself on the back. <laughs> I did lead the team in receiving, so it wasn't like I was chopped liver either. You know what I mean? Like right. there, was poten- there was potential there, but when you have an ownership change, a, a coach, head coaching change, coordinator changes, quarterback changes, those three, those three pieces are the most crucial. The owner, the head coach, and the GM goes along kind of with the head coach, and then the quarterback. And if, if you don't have consistency at those positions, um, your team typically struggles and when you're ma- you have so many different changes that are going on, it's hard to perform at your highest level. So um, with all of those guys, I, I saw potential. It just was a matter for all the pieces to kind of get put together and allow them to grow and have some consistency with what they were doing. Got about 60 seconds, Ed, and I'm fascinated to hear the, your answer to this next question. We had the privilege of being on the call for, for two Niners games last year and you know, we're doing a deep dive into your son. I mean, uh, the competition with all four boys going on and playing college ball, all, all your sons, I mean, that was insane. But I didn't realize your family and your wife's family. What was it like growing up in, in, in a competition when you were growing up and watching your sons? Because, what, you, you had a, a sister that played at Georgetown. I think your brother Billy played at Duke, right? And then, I mean, and then having four sons, all athletes, your wife was an athlete. What the hell was it like in the McCaffrey household? just growing up and, and as far as competition goes? Well, you know, I, I think we were, well, as far as I was concerned, I was the oldest of five kids. So I was, uh, you know, my brother was three years younger than me. So I never had a problem dominating in any way, <laughs> but he, he showed, he showed his prowess early. Like he was on our state championship basketball team as a freshman and scored, I think like 11 points in the fourth quarter to help us win in a a district game and so it was obvious he was incredibly skilled early on you know I set our uh, school record for points in basketball and my sister broke it in less than a year she she absolutely (laughs) dominated in high school and then my brother broke it a year after that so it was you know my any records that I did set were very short-lived not only at my school but within my own family Um, but so they showed talent early but I was always the oldest and biggest so it wasn't you know I supported them and rooted for them but it was it wasn't competitive at all in terms of um, against each other, you know, we rooted for each other and played hoops in the in the yard. And I was really the only football player, so there wasn't a lot of competition there. And then with our kids, we were lucky. Max, who's now coaching with the Dolphins, is um, he was a great big brother. He kind of set the tone uh, to to compete, but also support and love each other. And we're lucky to have him as a big brother. I think all the kids embrace that. They love each other. They were very competitive. Don't get me wrong, but they always supported each other. I can imagine with four boys Damn, in jealous. the household, Ed McCaffrey. Uh, father of not just Christian McCaffrey, but also Max, Luke, and Dylan as well. Three-time Super Bowl <laughs> champion, and most importantly, game day host right here on ESPN Radio, 3 to 6 p.m. on Saturdays. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, guys. Man, I needed that. Next I needed that, man. I, I grew up in a, in a, with three brothers. We beat the hell out of each other. That was loving. I just grew up. I needed that. I just grew up with one, and he beat me up too, but I'm not a hyper-competitive person is what it is. Coming up next year. On Amber Indian. The Pacers traded for Pascal Siakam earlier today. How does that change the hierarchy in the East? We'll get into it. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. Pascal Siakam was traded today 
From the Toronto Raptors to the Indiana Pacers, they are blowing things up in Toronto, but Indiana sure as heck isn't. Amber and Ian presented by Progressive Insurance. Grizzlies at Timberwolves tomorrow night. Speaking of the NBA, you can hear that right here on ESPN Radio. Coverage of that game begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. But back to this trade, Ian Pascal Siakam. Uh, He has been traded. The Raptors receive Bruce Brown. Uh, Kira Lewis Jr., Jordan Nora, a 2024 first round pick. This is what matters here. The 2024, another a couple first rounders, a 2026 first rounder. Uh, there's some protection there, protected one through four. But basically, they get several picks back for Pascal Siakam, who's on an expiring contract. And I think that this trade is uh, not so surprising because we knew Toronto was shopping him. Apparently, Golden State and a few other teams had made inquiries. Those talks hadn't gone anywhere. Indiana finds itself in a situation, though, where it's headed the right direction. You saw them be the runner-up there in the midseason tournament. And now they're making moves for their future. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN's senior NBA insider, was on SportsCenter explaining what this trade does for both teams. Well, two really important reasons. Start with the fact that Pascal Siakam is exactly what this Pacers team needs. A dynamic forward who can guard four positions. Two-time All-Star. Played a significant role in that championship team in Toronto. Fits right into an Indiana team that is ahead of schedule. Just as importantly, though, the confidence that Indiana has that they can re-sign Pascal Siakam to an extension this summer. And Indiana had something over Toronto. They had cap space this summer. Siakam had gotten traded somewhere else, that team risks the possibility of Siakam just walking in free agency to Indiana. Uh, Now Indiana has him. They have a team in the East that is going to be dangerous and a lot of confidence that their relationship in Indiana, that they're in position to have a long relationship with Siakam. And now this becomes, you know, that one-two punch now of Halliburton and Siakam. Uh, That's dangerous in the Eastern Conference. That's something Rick Carlisle's been looking for. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, so this thing was possible because the Pacers were in the unique position of owning all their first round picks and one from the Thunder as well. And also being in a position to create that max cap space this summer to try to talk Siakam into staying and re-signing there. Yeah, and so right now he's a rental, uh, but to your point, they can pay him a truckload and they had more of an arsenal to beat out the Warriors, the Mavs, the Kings, whomever that may have wanted to make a run for Pascal Siakam. And this is something that Rick Carlisle, I guarantee you, having covered him with the Mavs as their head coach for years, he's beyond thrilled. That man's doing cartwheels right now because he needed a, a Batman to a Robin. And, and now you've got mm-hmm. it. And, and they've been looking for a forward for a while that, that can do multiple things. And they, they finally got him. And a guy who's averaging, what, 22 points a game right now. Uh, this is exactly what the Pacers wanted. This is something that Rick Carlisle, with a guy who's that versatile, I mean, Carlisle's a mad scientist. I think he's so underrated as a head coach uh, in, in the NBA where his basketball IQ is through the roof, and he's constantly thinking of different things and how to use guys. You'll see him during the game, and you'll see him kind of talking to himself. And, and that's just different things going through his head and in-game adjustments. You give him a weapon as versatile as Siakam, get ready. So the Pacers are a good team right now. A guy like Pascal Siakam can take him to a whole nother level. As you mentioned, runner-up in the in the uh, in-season tournament. This is this could be a difference maker for the Pacers to make not just a run but a deeper run into a very difficult East when it comes to adding a weapon like that. Now, as far as the Raptors go, complete rebuild. You get three first-round right. draft picks. You mentioned the protected one, one through four, from Indiana. Um, but this is one where it's it's like all right. 
We're done. Uh, and let's go ahead and start rebuilding for the future. Yeah. This is, this is all mean, about the Siakam Pacers. And, this is all about Pacers and Siakam. And it has much less to do with a Raptors rebuild. Yeah, I mean, this is the holdover from the championship team. You blow it all up at this point, and you pivot, and you rebuild. And that's exactly what Toronto should be doing. And in order to do that, you need to trade assets for draft picks. And that's exactly what the Raptors did here for a dude who wasn't going to stay there anyway. So why not go ahead and get what you can out of him? From the Pacers' perspective, this is a team that is ahead of schedule, like you just heard there in that clip. And this helps them because this is how you get stars to Indiana, right? This is played brilliantly. You're not going to just attract free agents if you're the Indiana Pacers, probably. However, this is the way to essentially attract them. You bring them in the final year of their deal, and you hope that they will sign the extension with you because you are in a unique position to pay them. You also have a good team around them, and you say, hey, life here is pretty good, plus we can pay you a truckload Please stay and sign on the dotted line. And that's the that point. That's how you the get the stars. That last part's the biggest one, right? We can pay you more than anybody else. So stay here with right. us. So stay here with us. But also, this is how you get a guy who's 29 years old, averaging 22.2 points per game, 6.3 boards per game, 4.9 assists per game. That's just this season. This is his eighth season in the NBA. All of those seasons were with the Toronto Raptors. They drafted him 27th overall back in 2016. He's made multiple all-star teams, two all-NBA teams. And of course, he has an NBA title to his name where he helped Toronto win back in 2019. It is a heck of a resume for only eight years in the league. And that's not a player that the Pacers would be able to just attract to Indiana, most likely. So instead, now you get some help here. The Batman to the Robin, like you said there, alongside Halliburton, and you build towards the future for a team that, yet yeah, are they going to overtake the, you know, the Bucks or the Seas or it, this season? No, but this isn't just a this season play because, again, you're hoping that he will sign with you and they are in a position to pay this man. And now they'll have him in his in their building in order to talk him into staying and signing on that dotted line. I think that this was an excellent trade by the Indiana Pacers. Coming up next here on ESPN Radio, breaking NFL coaching news. We will give it to you next. Amber and Ian is on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio can also be listened to on the ESPN app.